Hello, welcome to Time to Say Goodbye. Uh, it's the 19th of April, and uh, we have a special guest this week. It's Michelle Zahner. Um, she has a new book out that I'm sure you've seen a lot on social media or you know, I think in media generally, or bit, perhaps you read it when it was in The New Yorker. About crying at H Mart. Um, Michelle, hey, how are you doing? I'm with Andy and Tammy too, so you guys can say hi. <laughs> hi, everyone. Hi. Um, yeah, we're gonna skip our usual like talking about nothing phase. We're just gonna get straight <laughs> straight into the book. It's actually, I was thinking, I was like, I don't think I've done anything this week anyway. So like, I don't know what I'd bab about. I moved like two birds of paradise plants twice because I was very <laughs> unhappy with the amount of sunlight they were getting, and each time I moved them. It's like you're like basically putting them at risk, and uh, still not that much sunlight. Uh, it's somewhat, I don't know. It's a mystery. I don't really understand it. Um, all right. Well, uh, can you look? The, well, let's just start this off very easy. And uh, question. You know, you've been doing a long press week here. Uh, so, what? What? Well, you know, what? What sort of compelled you to write this? I had actually wow. already started the book before. Crying in H Mart, the essay came out in the New Yorker. There was an essay that came before it in 2016 called Love Loss and Kimchi uh, that I just wrote out of a sense of urgency, I guess. Uh, I've always been a really um, outspoken, sort of open book of a person. And I was really surprised that after my mom passed away, I was really quiet. I just couldn't really, um, I just didn't know exactly how I was feeling or how to communicate it to other people or how to relate to any other people. And um, it was just a way for me to kind of contextualize what had happened and sort of uh, get it down on paper, what I wanted to tell people or, you know, maybe what I wanted people to tell me. And it was just started as a kind of like cute story. I was just drawn to cooking Korean food in the wake of loss and... Um, I just thought it was, uh, you know, this this woman, Mangchi, who is a Korean YouTube vlogger, was just a great comfort to me during this really difficult time. And I was like, oh, this is like a sort of Korean Julie and Julia. I can write this essay. And like in the process of writing this cute little story, uh, came to realize how, how much had happened and how much was there and, and that it might be interesting um, and it might be therapeutic for me to explore deeper. Uh, so I... Uh, after that essay came out in 2016, I, I stayed in Korea for six weeks uh, in December of 2017 after my band had toured Asia and uh, started writing this book. And then the New Yorker reached out to me for some writing and I and I gave them the first chapter. Is Makji, like, uh, are Makji's recipes actually good? <laughs> Tim? They or, are, yeah. I, made, She's, I mean, I don't, have a, I, I don't have a bad thing to say. I made two of her dishes tonight. <laughs> The, uh, you made two of her dishes? Oh, really? Spinach what side did you dish. Make? I don't know the Korean, sorry. Spinach side dish and uh, soybean sprout soup, which is my go-to these days. For uh, Did you oh, have nice. like the... Clean. Did you have the... the so healthy. Anchovy? No, anchovy I cheated. I did the fake dashi, oh. the uh, mushroom and kombu dashi, but... Yeah, I took my shortcuts. I made it so much. <laughs> I don't know why I asked that. I was like, I thought about because I was like, I went through this. I went through like a big bangchi phase, and then for some reason, like my mom sort of put in my head that it was bullshit. But then I, but then I, I think I imagined it because later I asked her about, it and I was like, oh, you don't like mangchi, right? And she's like, what are you talking about? And then I was like, well, well, who put this in my head? And I think I almost imagined it. You know, I was like, oh, I, like I sort of imagined her disapproval of it, and then. um 
And then, but obviously it was like me fighting with some sort of authenticity thing, which was so, <laughs> which was so silly. And so then I like discovered this other guy who just like does, you know, and then I don't know. It's, it's, uh, do you, wait, do you guys, I, do I whole... like all of her recipes too. I use them. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to cook Korean food. And so like, you know, like, I don't know. So you guys go through the stages of the anchovy packets and the authentic, all that stuff or? Well, I have all the, in, I have that stuff because my mom dropped it <laughs> off. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, Tammy, do you use Mangchi? Uh, no, but I but I like her. I've seen a I've seen a bunch of the videos. I recommend I've recommended her to a lot of people, and I feel like she's very sweet and familiar. You know, like I think you write about that, Michelle, in the book. Just like, kind of sounded like your mom. Sounds like people we know. You know, she has a kind of bearing that's somehow very like familial. So that is comforting when I can't see my family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't think anyone really has a problem with her. No. Um, <laughs> just, just, just imagine. Like, we don't have to have a problem. No, with I know. I, I guess I just time. have these expectations. There can be some people that can be safe. Well, like from food that. authenticity is like so weirdly, you know. I don't know. It seems like such a toxic space, but I don't know. Maybe Koreans just don't feel that way. They're just like, yeah, if you, you know, it's great. If you <laughs> cook. That's how I feel. So. Um, you know, I just expected some people would be meaner about it. Um, well, okay, so you you're obviously also a musician, and uh, why you know, and why did you choose to, to write about this? Um, you know, this sort of traumatic experience of your mother dying. It was a traumatic and horrifying experience that I endured, and you know, the loss was really great, and it just occupied the last. Uh, five, six years of my life, like, uh, incessantly. Um, and I just needed to like purge everything that had happened and, you know, wrote two albums about it. And, you know, with the record, like there are a lot of sort of fragmentary, like kind of impressionistic thought, you know, they're just like feelings and metaphors and, you know, a book really gives you the word count to, to, recount everything that, that really happened. And I feel like there was a real story there. You know, it had a real arc and, and it was something I was interested in yeah. exploring. Yeah, I was really touched to read the part about how kind Psychopomp kind of came out of that in a way that you didn't expect. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about sort of that that writing process for, for that particular album, because it seemed to, um, I don't know, you as you say in the book, like so much kind of happened at once, you know, in this period of grief. Yeah, I mean, it was just a really raw, vulnerable time. And I was in this weird sort of purgatory where I was living in yeah. Eugene and, and she had passed away. And I was, um, you know, kind of helping my dad pack up this big house mm -hmm. of like stuff that they'd collected over the course of, you know, 25 years. And uh, to create a sort of like for myself I would go into this sort of like shed at the bottom of the property I grew up in sort of like outside of town uh on like five mm -hmm. acres of land uh sort of in the woods of the Pacific Northwest and my parents had this like shed at the bottom of the property that I would go over to like for a few hours every day and start just like writing down my feelings and recounting what happened and by then I was 25 and I had been playing in bands since I was like 16 years old. So for nine years, I had felt like I had really <laughs> paid my dues uh, and worked towards, towards, you know, done a lot of DIY tours and it just like wasn't happening for me. 
And uh, I didn't really have any expectation. I was just like, I'm going to write a record about this experience. It'll be like a nice sort of project to kind of anchor me through this difficult time. And um, when I'm done, I can like convince a label to just print like 500 copies and I'll sell it over the course of like the next 10 (laughs) years or something. Uh, And then, of course, like, you know, I I moved back to New York and got a job as a sales assistant in an advertising company. And uh, the album, you know, I just put out the album and the, there was like a small label that put it out and they were like, we're going to hire a PR person. And I was like, that's your <laughs> money to waste. And, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, it just, it just took off. And, and it was interesting because, you know, there was no like, I told the label I was not going to tour because I was like, you know, it's just, I have to put that pipe dream to bed. And um, I just really didn't think that it was going to take off the way yeah. that it did. But it was just, it came from a very like honest place and, uh, you know, I didn't even like tell the PR person that my mom had oh, done. Wow. It was this whole narrative and it was like her on the cover and all this stuff. But of course, as you start to do interviews, like that kind of information comes out. And I think that really might have mm, resonated with wow. some people. Um, before that album, was your music, had you been um, so personal in your music? Did you feel like that album was the first time you wrote, um, like, super, like opened up a lot about your personal life and your identity? Was that sort of a new stuff? No, No, not at all. I mean, I don't feel like I did that on that record. You know, I wasn't like, I'm not Korean. Like, uh, you know, I don't, that's the other thing about like music. Like you can't really, um, I feel like there are more scenes, you know, that like you, like they're so open to interpretation in this way that like you have to kind of guide a reader through in a book. And, um, you know, I would say that I had, I had this other band, Little Big League that, you know, I'd always written from a very personal place, but maybe people were just less interested in it. Or I was like, less at the forefront because it was very much a band. And so I, I had this kind of feeling of, um, I don't want to be tokenized as like the girl in the group. So I always like kind of presented sort of more masculine and also like tried to write more like not like intricate guitar lines and like show off a little bit more in terms of musicianship and like make sure that I stood in the sort of background with everyone uh, in the photos. And so I think I maybe just didn't take as much. It didn't feel like I had the space and I didn't really have the desire to take as much ownership over like what my narrative might be presented as, you know, because we were a band instead of mm-hmm. a solo project. So I think that that might have been part of the reason why um, that album maybe touched more people yeah. in a way or that came across more in that in that record. There, there's this passage in the book that I really like that um, I'm going to read back, uh, which um, I don't know. I'm sorry. Like, I think if someone did this to me, I'd be mortified but you know I think it's well written but it's like but nothing impacted me so profoundly as the first time I got my hands on a DVD of the yeah yeah yeah's live at the Fillmore the front woman Karen O was the first icon of the music world I worshipped who looked like me she was half Korean and half white with an unrivaled showmanship that obliterated the Asian uh, docile Asian stereotype she was famous for wild stage on stage antics spitting water into the air bounding across to the far side of the stage in deep-throating microphone before lassoing it above her head by its cable. Um, yeah, can, like, I don't know. I, I found that to be interesting just because, I, uh, yeah, just to tell me about your relationship with Karen O. I mean, not, you know, your actual relationship, <laughs> but, you know, like sort of your projected relationship at the time. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that around that age, I was uh, like developing my my own musical taste uh, in a way, and was you know just profoundly impacted by that scene in general. And you know, it was obviously you know back then, especially um, or like you know, it's always been like a sort of more male dominated, more white male dominated yeah. space. And to even see like, first of all, I mean, even if she was a man, like what she does would be impressive and phenomenal but the fact that she was also like a woman that was occupying that space and then to later learn that she was half korean like felt like impossible like eerily like like so uh like so close to home in this way that like you know it was like the first half korean woman that i'd ever even like <laughs> I feel like you know like I mean outside of like Korean school or whatever like in someone that had like made a name for themselves that was half Korean I don't know I, I, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you a, another person I feel like that isn't like a, a friend of mine in like the indie world I guess why, why do you think that is that you know from the outside I also noticed that indie is so like white and male dominated now that you've you've, you know, you're on, you've been on the inside for so long now do you feel like there are like certain dynamics that kind of explain or is it just sort of you know people tend to just kind of congregate with people they look like and momentum kind of builds up and so on um i think it's changing a lot but i think that part of it might just be that you know the patriarchy <laughs> like i just think that uh i mean it's most musical yeah. spheres like i think are pretty male dominated in general and like maybe part of that is just like you know like the, the sort of societal stuff that's ingrained in us that like we like women shouldn't be loud you know like in, in general or like uh or or take on more like sort of technical things or like um talk about themselves or like be unabashedly like uh at the forefront of something um and I think that yeah like we are actively like breaking through that in, in a really exciting way and it definitely helps to have uh, more and more people. I mean, there were definitely women in music that I like really admired w when I was growing up, but Karina was the only Asian woman that I remember um, seeing at that time that I was just like, she's just like un unparalleled <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the passage ends, like my first thought being, uh, or you say you had these two, this sort of ambivalent feeling, and you said your first thought was, how do I get to do that? And my second, <laughs> there's already one Asian girl doing this and there's no longer space for me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like it was, yeah, <laughs> I think about that too sometimes with writing, you know, it's just like, well, I don't know, you know, like there's can't be more than four of us and, you know, <laughs> I count six, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I didn't count myself here. So, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like, is that in, in the music world, you know, cause like I just found you could, over the past, I don't know, 10 years or five years, there's more people that like, I don't know, like Mitski or um, like, I don't know, Tao Win or like people who have had these careers that, you know, seem kind of foreign or almost impossible at the time. I don't know, like I kind of see as like, as like, well, are there other Korean musicians? I was like, well, there's like dude who was in Skank and Pickle, right? Mike Park. And then there was like uh, the guy who um, did... Skank and Pickle. Pickle, yeah, it's like one of the original sort of California ska bands. Yeah, and then um, Whoa. I mean, I can only imagine that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> the name with a name like Skank and Pickle is great. Um, and then uh, and Mike, you know, he sort of, um, I don't know, he he did a lot of, I don't know, he did a lot of really sort of important work in that field and trying to make it less racist. Um, and then mm. uh, 
You have the guy in Hoover's Right, thing. and then there's the then there's the lead singer of the string cheese. <laughs> anyway, but the only what I've got to get is just sort of like, um, I don't know, like we don't really talk about identity in that sort of way. So that, I don't know that maybe that's why it's a little bit awkward at this point because you're just like, well, who cares? But like, you know, like is like, did you think about it going forward? Or like when you're, it seems like mu- music is not a place to sort of talk about one's identity. Like, I can't imagine what an identity song would be like that wouldn't be like super <laughs> corny, you know, like, but like, is like, uh, you know, like. Well, I feel like your best American girl is a great example of some, some something that, like that working. That's true. You know, is that about? I, I guess so, right? It's sort of like definitely you know, yeah. like your mother wouldn't approve how my mother <laughs> raised me. I think it's a chorus, right? So yeah, I guess so. Yeah, um, is it? <laughs> <laughs> did you feel any pressure to like not talk about it when you're when you're trying to be a musician? Where you're like, well, a musician is X, and it's not somebody who talks about this. I've never thought that way. No, um, I feel like people can like sniff out when you're pandering pretty quickly. And I think that uh, if there's anything that I've learned from making art is that, you know, you should pursue what interests you. So I would never pursue something uh, that didn't feel like it, um, like necessary for me to explore, I guess. So, you know, on the flip side, I, I, I don't, you know, I have my like ways of like, touching on things that interest me, you know, uh, that maybe relate to like my identity in some ways. But, um, yeah, I, I, I've never been like afraid to like approach something, I guess. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, yeah, no, no. Definitely I feel like if anything, people would love it if I did yeah. it more, you know, like a lot of times people will be like, how does your Korean heritage right. like, impact your music? And it's like, I don't use like any traditional instruments or anything. <laughs> so it's like, not really. I only like have the lens that I like have known all along, which is like, I've always been half Korean. I've always been, like, been in this body and had this experience. I have no other experience to like really draw from really. Um, and so, you know, it's always going to be through that lens. And, and if you, you know, of course we get asked about like our identity all, all the time in, in, in press in the music world. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's just about striking a balance of like being honest, uh, uh about like, you know, what you do. I, I, I would feel like, I, I would feel like I'm pandering to be a part of something more if I was like really making songs about like, oh, yeah, my identity specifically. And it's also like, I'm, I, you know, I wrote a whole book about this in a way. Uh, and I'm just not, you know, it's not really like, I think that the, like talking about identity is far more interesting when it's like like accompanying a bigger idea I guess like it's just you know it is a it is it is a thing that's working in like a a larger theme or um part of a relationship in terms of crafts like do you want to talk about Jubilee your forthcoming album because obviously like in mood and sort of presentation it, it is a departure from the first two albums um and obviously you know the name Jubilee like we're are we entering a kind of a joyful album there's two tracks that are out, so I've listened to those, but <laughs> what are you doing in the album? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just felt like my narrative was so rooted in yeah. like, grief and tragedy, and uh, after writing two albums and an entire book about grief and tragedy, it felt like I was, you know, ready to, you know, literally put the, close that chapter yeah. and, like, um, close the book on it and and sort of fling myself to the other side of the spectrum and sort of prove that I uh, have 
this other part of my person that like you know is is interesting and and I thought that uh it would be rather unexpected to write an album that's rooted in joy and yeah and so do you want to say a little bit about kind of like how you approached it musically um it sounds I mean the two tracks sound very upbeat and kind of I guess I mean obviously there's like continuities with the first two but yeah just like in construction or instrumentation like what were you thinking yeah, I thought a lot about um, what I wanted to present with a third album. I was like looking at a lot of other artists that I admire who have sort of these like long careers and, and longer discographies and, and what they were trying to sort of prove uh, on their third album. And for me, I was so, um, I felt so much pressure during my second mm-hmm. album that I was going to fall into this sort of sophomore yeah. slump and that like my first album was this fluke. And uh, I, with the third album, I just wanted to like exude confidence and, and ambition and this sort of like bombastic theatricality. And uh, I just felt like, you know, by the third album, you should really know who you are as a musician and, and know exactly what you want to say and kind of flex every muscle. So we just... I went in and and knew I wanted to have larger arrangements and, you know, just to bring in more collaborators and and just make the scope of it sort of much larger. When you go back to Korea, what is it like now? Do you feel like, um, you know, you found Koreans who correspond to like your idea of like being, being an artist, being like, you know, loud and, you know, willing to express themselves and like, do you feel like you'll keep going back to Korea and you found sort of your, your place in Korea when you go back? I don't know if I've like found my place, but I do really love going back there and I'm very close to like my mom's older sister and um, it feels like a really important time for me to go there. And I actually would love to live there for at least a year at some point fairly soon. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It's a very different culture. And and I definitely got to know a lot of people in the music scene over there, which is like a totally new thing for me. Even like, I remember like going to Hongdae for the first time and being like, oh, yeah, (laughs) whatever you like, my people. Um, And so just like even getting to see like some of that counterculture, which is like obviously when I was younger and visiting Seoul, like I had no access to uh, is like this totally new relationship for me. That's that's really cool. And getting to meet like other like, musicians there and like girls who are just like total shredders like uh like you know this girl in parasol and sesonyeon and um sesumi they're all these like really great korean bands with just like these amazing female musicians that uh, i i really admire so you know that's like a a totally new world for me and it's very exciting but it's still like very different i feel like very self-conscious there in a way that Mm -hmm. i i don't feel in america yeah going back in asia and finding hipsters was a big deal for me because you're right, when you're young, you just as- associate, like, the entire continent with your parents. And then when you go, yeah, and you're exactly. like, oh, there's actually, totally, like, totally. cool young people who are, like, leftist, and, you know, they watch, like, indie music, watch indie films, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a big, it's yeah, a big yeah, revelation. Yeah, totally. What, what are some of the books that you read before writing this? Or, like, if you had one in mind where you're just like, man, if I can sort of approach this book, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, I read a lot of food memoir because I'd never really read food memoir. So I wanted to like get an idea of like how people handled that. I mean, I read a, a bunch of different things that sort of contributed in, in different ways. I read, um, you know, jo- Joan Didion's two memoirs about grief, um, The Blue Hour and Your Magical Thinking were pretty informative. And, uh, you know, Anthony Bourdain obviously is is a great many things, but he, he is an exceptional um, like travel and food writer. And, and uh, his book, A Cook's Tour, was... 
I, I, parts of it are, are really, really beautifully written. And, and, you know, he has such a like classy sort of relationship to food that I uh, really loved. MFK Fisher's uh, Gastronomical Me. Um, she has like the most incredible food writing, you know, even like a lot of like cookbooks, like sometimes like even just like reading that type of language, um, was really helpful. And Nora Ephron's Heartburn. Um, I loved like Alexander Chi's, uh, book and a book of essays. A lot of David Sedaris books are like really personal and, and kind of infused humor in this nice way. I read Ruth Reichel's Tender at the Bone. Um, Tobias Wolf's This Boy's Life. I loved Richard Ford's Between Them. Uh, many different books contributed to my book, I, mm. will, I will say. That's a good so list. You like to conceptualize it as a food book then. I think you're like, or, or you're like, is there some sort of special thing about writing about food? I've never done it, but like, is it, <laughs> you, did you feel like it was a specific thing that you needed to learn? I mean, that was the seed of the idea, you know. I, I always knew that the major, like, thematic vehicle was going to be food based on these two major moments in my life, you know. And so then it was kind of just, like, looking back through, you know, I mean, the, the, the book starts, like, ever since my mom died, I cried I cry in Age Mart. And then the whole book is basically answering that question of, like, why, why is that, you know. Um, and so it's sort of just, like, unpacking what that means. And so I always knew that I was going to be threading. That was going to be the major through line was, like, these different memories of, of food and, and why that could have been. Um, and so, yeah, I knew that, and I will say that it's also just, it's, it feels really easy to write about food because it's such a naturally, like, it's sensory rich, detailed, um, thing to write about. And it's also easy to revisit, uh, you know, like you, you can just make something and experience it again, uh, and write about that instead of like, you know, writing about the weather or something. It's like, you can't, if it's raining outside and you have to write about a sunny day or like a snowing day or whatever, that's harder to me than writing about this experience with food because you can just recreate mm -hmm. it on the spot. Tammy, have you ever written about food? <laughs> Only in bits and pieces. Um, I was going to say that I love, um, I think my favorite food memoir is Gabrielle Hamilton's book, um, which is really good. It's, that. Um, what's it called? Blood, Bones, and Butter. The chocolate prune. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I've heard of it's it. I haven't, I, haven't I, 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 I thought your food, yeah. your book actually was going to be more about food than it ended up being. I feel like it actually went in all these other directions that I didn't anticipate based on the way that had been advertised and like the original or the chapter that had been released. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about all of those, the food books that you read. Yeah. But I, you did a very good job describing H Mart. I think Jay, are you going to go to the H Mart in San Francisco? Cause I saw that it's opening next week. I don't yeah. know. I feel like a traitor. Cause there's this place called Coriana Plaza in Oakland. Oh, yeah, and, that's it's, right. uh, and it's like, it's, it's sort of like a struggle H Mart, right? Not, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I try to go to the non H Mart I mean, yeah, if yeah, I can, and but um, and so then I feel bad because I'm really going to drive over the bridge and <laughs> forsake these people who are so kind to me during the pandemic. You know, <laughs> they had all these like amazing sanit. You know, uh, they were you know the sort of safest place that you could feel shopping at the beginning of the pandemic and now i'm like i don't want to go to h mart you know <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure i'll go because you know um you know, it's uh yeah it really they don't really have that much there um also i just want to see it it just seems like um i don't know it's so confusing it to me that good. there wasn't one here right isn't yeah there two in, isn't there two in washington state 
there's one in Linwood, there's more right? than two, yeah. Yeah. One, we go to the Federal Way one. Just, uh, I'm sorry, like, you know, like, all my questions with writers are generally just, like, very small, minor, nerdy writer things. Um, so, and it's like, what, like, did you, how does one, like, prepare oneself to write a, a memoir like this, where you understand that it's going to be, um, well, I, I don't want to make any presumptions, but I imagine that it was, like, upsetting, right, um, that it dealt with a lot of excavation of self, like, uh, like how do you get yourself sort of in the mindset where, um, and then, like, what are the actual things that you actually do to to produce the book? You know, like, you, you said that you sort of, you know, when you were younger, you used to go to this, like, sort of shed at the edge of your property, like, you know, like, how, how did you sort of get this out? Um, it was sort of in stages, you know, um, a big part of it, you know, I think I had some confidence from just having made records and knowing that I had the ability to like see a larger creative project to its end. Um, and you know, I had these two essays, uh, that were a sort of guide and then I did this outline and then I spent six weeks in Seoul in December of 2017 writing, you know, basically like a, a more in-depth outline. And then in 2018, when Crying in Nature, the essay came out, um, I started working with an agent to put together a proposal that we pitched and, and then it got sold. And, and then I had the sort of financial means to like really commit to this project. Um, a big thing for me is like, I like to set up sort of like homework assignments or like rules or like weird sick games uh, to, <laughs> to, to um, give myself. So like I knew in the beginning that, you know, I had this like looming like 90,000 word count goal. And so for my, my, my goal was like every day I'm going to write a thousand words. And even if they're complete garbage, I just like, I have to clock a at least a thousand words every day until I hit 90,000. And then I can sort of go back in and start the revision process. Um, so a lot of that was done like in between, you know, we were really busy on tour and stuff. So I would be writing in the van or like in between soundtrack and performance or on planes and stuff like that. But I set a goal for myself, like every single day, I'm going to write a thousand words until I hit 90,000. And then the whole revision process is like a whole other beast. One thing I do like about the a book writing process is that there's sort of like built-in perspective moments where like I knew and I didn't have a problem with sending in like a pretty garbage rough draft. Like I knew like I knew that it would be better for me to send something that was like pretty rough around the edges and then get the perspective of a, you know, a brilliant editor to like help me sort of refocus my vision and f figure out what's working and what's not working and then and then go back into that. So I, I submitted my rough draft, um, I think in like in the summer of 2019 and then, or like the late summer of 2019. And then my editor had it for like five months and, and just like, you know, really dug into it in a, in a very exciting way that helped me sort of refocus and, and revise it and, and really sort of get it. Were you able to write a thousand words a day? That, yeah. Mostly, yeah. I think, I mean, even if it's just like complete right. crap, you know, like a lot of times you'll write a thousand words and maybe like a sentence has like unlocked something great for you. It's like makes it worth it, I feel like. Just like gets like a, I don't know. I feel like it's really great, especially when you're like pulling from memory. Sometimes it'll like really help to like unlock things if you're just like writing just complete <laughs> garbage and then some somehow like it, something <laughs> That's good impressive dedication it, you know? though. Like, Do you, do you um, feel like you'll keep writing? Like... 
I do. I feel like I learned so much from the process and, and like found what I really enjoyed that I, I'm so excited to kind of apply those lessons to another body of work. I, I, I do. And also you just get like the, the, the courage yeah. of like, well, I've done it before, yeah. you know, I can, I can do it again. It gets easier. Are you plotting the second book already? <laughs> um, okay. Casually. I think. Nonfiction yeah. again? I don't know. I would love to be able to say like, I, 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 I it's, it's like sexier fiction <laughs> to yeah. me, uh, but like you know, I don't even I don't have I don't have a single <laughs> idea. Like it, you know, now that I now that I feel like pretty comfortable writing nonfiction, uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, it it's more enticing for me to figure out how to write fiction because I would love to say I've I've written a novel or or write fiction in general, um, but it seems uh, more more challenging to wrap my head yeah. around at this time. I guess, I mean, you read Alex's book, so also like autofiction and it's like so blurry also in all the yeah. different kinds of nonfiction. Totally, totally. Did you have like, did you have like postpartum book being done depression like where you're just like, it's done and now I'm going through that right now and I don't know what to do about it. I'm like so irrational. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like um, as you get older and the sort of like novelty of finishing a creative project kind of wears off, uh, I like can't, I have some type of postpartum, I think, even with both the album and, right. and the book. I was just devastated, uh, honestly. Like I, I, I felt like I had really let everyone down, and my myself, my mom's memory. It was a really devastating time. And then now, you know, perspective is just everything, and just having months away from it and revisiting it, and also like getting ready to put it out. You know, you start to feel really. And of course, like getting people like good responses is such a huge part, like sad part of, of the validation you need to like continue on. <laughs> I feel like. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just, yeah. The, I mean, everyone seems to, you know, we like the book and um, yeah, thanks for coming on. 